right, well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to our Unshakable series. We've been going through the book of Hebrews, and the theme verse for this series is out of Hebrews chapter 12 that tells us that we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable. Would you say that word with me? Say unshakable. unshakable. How many recognize you live in an unstable world, but this kingdom, the kingdom of God, the, the Bible tells us that it's already here. Let me read that verse again to you, that we are receiving presently, actively, right now, we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable. We've been looking at this, uh, this design here just for a few weeks, and the, this up arrow just simply represents the life that the majority of human beings, we're all born living this way, just a self-seeking lifestyle. And we've been trying to discover the lifestyle of these heroes of faith in Hebrews 11. That is just serving God. It's represented by a, an arrow that goes out. It goes off the screen for a purpose because that represents eternity, that this is, we're already living that life. We, we've already entered that, that kingdom. It's already here. Again, Hebrews says that we've already, we are receiving this kingdom that is unshakable. It's already here. Right now, it's, it's spiritual. We're not seeing it physically, but it's already here, and we're already a part of it. And that unshakable kingdom will change our life. Now, before I get into the scripture that I'm going to read for today, hopefully you already pulled out those sermon notes, I just want to start with a quick story, and we'll be referring back to this in the message, but uh, when I was young, from, you know, from birth up to about six years old, we finally moved out to the farm at about when I was six years old. But all those years, at least once every year for Christmas, we would go and spend time with all the cousins at Grandma's house, all right? We'd always leave after Dad's work, so it was later, you know, in the evening when we would leave, about a three-hour drive, and I would always fall asleep. I tried to stay awake, but I couldn't do it, would fall asleep, and obviously Dad carried me in and, and laid me down because all I remember was waking up every, I don't know if it was Christmas morning, but it was, you know, Christmas season, waking up. Now, let me just stop here, and I don't want to exaggerate. People tell me I tend to exaggerate. So I've worked hard this week to dial this back to reality, all right? So this is, now, this is, this is the dialed back version of what I woke up to. Well, it's a six-year-old version of reality anyway. So this is reality. I woke up in the North Pole. Okay, that was at least my version of reality at that time. I was convinced. I mean, there were decorations. This was the North, in my mind. I mean, I knew it was Grandma's house, but this was, this was awesome beyond awesome. Decorations, it was just amazing. Candy canes without limit, right? Pancakes with no end. Snowball fights. And, you, and the best part is there was no bedtime could stay up. Now, I was, I, was in the, I was in reality. I knew that these elves were actually my cousins. I knew that, right? I knew the reindeer were actually the cows and sheeps and goats and chickens on the farm. I knew that. But now the Santa that was at my grandma's house, he was the real Santa. This was not the guy. I, even at that age, I knew there was the guy in the suit, and then there's the real one, and this was the real one. Now, let me describe the real one to you because some of you have never met the real one. And let me just, a couple of pointers just so you would recognize the real one when you finally see him. The real Santa has a beard, well, almost exactly like my dad's. I don't know how else to describe it. And uh, when the real Santa talks, well, he kind of sounds exactly like my dad. And uh, he has a belly, well, almost as big as my dad's, actually. And I just, again, I'm just sharing that so you'll recognize the real Santa when you see him. I think you get my point. I'm just simply saying that to me, in a six-year-old brain, this was just magic land. And hopefully you have, whether it's Christmas or something, hopefully you have some memory 
of something awesome in your life that you can look back on that created a longing. Will you say that word with me? Say longing. Something that was so awesome to you that you wanted to go back. It created a desire in you, a longing, a yearning, a memory that you wanted to go back. And that was my memory every year, all year long. I remember I wanted to go back to grandma's house because it was awesome. Now, this book of Hebrews that we've been studying is being written to people who are being strongly tempted to abandon their faith. They're being, they're, they've been walking this line, serving God. They've received Christ, and he's, he's revolutionized their lives. But this is now years later, and have any of us ever had that experience where years later, years after your eyes of faith have been opened, you kind of are tempted to get back on this self-seeking line and just live, you know, it seems like the world, it seems like everybody in the world has an easier life than you and serving God seems hard and difficult and that just seems easier. And they were tempted just to go back to that lifestyle. And the book of Hebrews is being written to encourage them. I mean, again, they were, they were in a tough spot. They had, a lot of them had really backed up from their faith a lot. And now what is he going to do? What is the writer going to share with them? And as we're going through Hebrews 11, you have to realize the reason for all those stories. Mark shared the story of Noah with you last week. That's out of this chapter. All Abraham, Noah, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, all these stories are in this chapter. But the reason they're there is because the writer is bringing these people back to their memory of, of their heroes, that there are heroes too, but they're bringing back to, the, to this memory. Now, he, he takes an interesting turn. If you pull out your notes now in the chapter 11, now in the verse 13, you know, just before this is Noah. That's what Mark talked about last week. And now we're on to verse 13. And the writer takes this interesting turn uh, and, and talks about, you know, he kind of takes a pause from listing these characters and just talks about them a little bit. So verse 13, now Hebrews chapter 11, all these people, again, you know, Noah, all the characters we've been looking at, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised. Just, just stop right there. I mean, if you're trying to encourage a people to get back, you know, serving God, get their, get their faith rekindled, doesn't that sound like kind of a discouraging thing to say to them? But he, he's reminding them and he's bringing them back to reality because sometimes we preachers are probably the worst ones at doing this, at overselling our product, making it sound like if you serve God, if you ask Jesus into your hearty-warty, all of your problems are over and you're gonna have nothing, but it, life will be paradise, right? But is, is that reality? Is that true? No, that's, that isn't true, is it? In fact, the writer is telling them that all these heroes of theirs, and I think the reason he's throwing this in there is because, you know, they started with all this faith and these people started with this burning faith and they were so excited. And why they're tempted to draw back is they're like, after a few years in it, they're like, gosh, this is, you know, it's not perfect. It's not everything I hoped it would be. They, there, there was some measure of dissatisfaction still in their heart. They're like, I thought it was going to be more than this. Well, then, let me ask you a question. If you've walked with Christ for more than a week, a month, a year, funny question, is there still any hint of dissatisfaction somewhere in a corner of your soul? Do you know that's actually normal? And what that is, the writer is saying here, is that they did not receive what was promised. He's talking about the, later on as we keep reading, it says that they did receive promises singular to them. Sarah received the child. Abraham, you know, received this land. He went, but when he says that they didn't receive the promise, he's talking about this arrow that goes off the chart here 
the kingdom of God, the ultimate promise, God has promised to bring his kingdom to this earth. Now, we have received his kingdom spiritually. Christ is here. The spirit of God is here. The Holy Spirit is here. But are we living in the fullness of the kingdom of God? Are we enjoying all that there is? How many have a small hope that heaven is at least a little bit better than this? Are you hoping a little bit better? Am I the only one that has a little bit of hope that it's, okay, so we get it, right? We don't, we don't, we haven't received it all. And that's what he's saying. That's that promise, that, that fulfillment that is promised to all of us. There is a place of absolute fulfillment. And when you first received Christ, maybe you didn't have this experience, but I did. I remember there were some months there after I first said yes to Jesus, I thought I was in heaven. I mean, it was that powerful to me. My life had been that transformed that I thought, man, this is all of it. And after a while you realize, ah, it's not all of it. There's still a promise to come. There's a place of fulfillment. So he starts by telling them that. And then, since, again, he's trying to encourage these people to get back to their faith. And then we're going to keep reading here, but let me just tell you what's about to come. You won't, this is the only place you'll find this in all the Bible. The writer lists, he picks f- the five most intense verbs out of the Greek language, five most that, that, that talk about interior action, internal, what, what's happening on the in, internal verbs, internal action, right? He takes the five most and he packs them into a few verses. And just we'll look at them. I underlined the verbs. And as we read it, you'll just see how these are all internal actions that are taking place. All right, so again, the writer's talking about these here. Abraham, you know, the heroes of faith, trying to encourage these people, which is ultimately encouraging us today. Okay, so let's go back to start at the, verse, at the beginning of verse 13. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. Okay, the kingdom of God was real to them, but they didn't receive it, not here on the earth. But they saw it. Everybody say saw it. What's it? It's maybe, maybe the best way for you to say it is heaven. It's really not heaven. The kingdom of God is much more than heaven. It's the spirit of God, the grace of God. It's, it's much more, but maybe the easiest way for you to understand that is just, just heaven. They saw it. They saw God. They, they, now they, I don't think he's saying they literally saw physically, but they saw. They saw God. They saw his kingdom. They saw it all from a distance, and they welcomed it. There's a second verb. They saw it. They welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on the earth. The, the effect seeing God and his kingdom head upon them was like, they didn't want this earth. This earth was no longer their home. Once they saw that, verse 14, obviously people who say such things are looking forward. There's another verb. They were looking forward, an interior action. They were looking forward to a country that they can call their own. If they had longed for, there's the next verb, if they had longed for the country they came from, looking back now, if they had longed for that, They could have gone back, but they were looking for a better place. Just stop right here and just, just, I know you guys love, I know you love Greek language lessons. Isn't that why you come to church? Isn't it really? This This is the fifth verb. This fifth one, the writer actually makes up. It didn't exist until here. He, he had exhausted the Greek language of all of the verbs that, that describe interior desire, yearning. He had exhausted the language, and he says, I, I need another one. And by the way, that's how new words get into language. You know, in, in context, we know what it's meaning, so you, you, you throw in a, like hankering. We have a new word today. How did hankering, how many know what hankering is? 
well, that word didn't exist so long ago. It, how, does, how does a word come into existence? Well, somebody recognizes the need and they just make it up and everybody understands it. And like, okay, it, it gets added to the language. Well, we have a new word here. And we'll see in the Greek what it is, but verse 16, he throws in another, he, he adds a verb to the language. They were looking for a better place. They were yearning for a better place. Anybody have that on the inside of you? You just, you have something on the inside of you that's just looking for a better place. They're looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. Now, again, I hope you're following this because he's very clearly saying that this is already their home. This is already inside them and it's pulling on them. They're looking for a heavenly, a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. Now, beneath that, on your notes, under number two, I just put the, you know, wrote those verbs down and just, just their definition. Just really quickly, we're just going to go through them. They saw, that means that they perceived with inward spiritual perception. This was an experience. They didn't just believe in God out there. They experienced him. And that experience put a hook in their gut that kept them moving forward. They couldn't hardly stop. It kept them moving forward. The next uh, the next uh, verb was welcomed, and I just didn't put the definition there because welcomed is just the word. They, they just felt welcomed. Kind of like grandma, I felt welcomed at grandma's house. It creates this desire, that welcome. The third verb is this looking forward to. You see the, I'm not gonna try to, def, I'm not gonna try to def, pronounce all these, but it means to seek after, to desire, to search for. Let me ask you a funny question. When is the last time you've searched for God? When's the last time you were just going about your normal daily activities and you just felt something rise up in you that you just wanted to get away and just search for God? Does that ever happen to you? That's normal. That's Christianity 101. That, this, these are the basics. Let me, let me just say this. If, if I'm describing something, if this is describing something that is completely foreign to you, you need to get back to basics because here's the reality. This isn't something that you self-generate. This yearning, this internal yearning that he's describing is not something that you are supposed to self-generate. It's not something that you're supposed to make up and I'm just supposed to make myself feel that way. No, no, no. He's describing the action of God. This is what God does on the inside. Creates that desire, longing for the next one. It means to remember, to make mention of. They were talking about it. Looking for, this is the last one. This is the one that the writer made up. To stretch out, to reach after. This is the strongest one of them. To reach after, to yearn for. It it creates this picture of literally stretching out your neck. You're so excited to see what's coming that you're just just stretching out your neck because you can't wait for it. When I saw that verb, you know what it made me think of? Is every year, Raquel goes and visits her sister for a couple of weeks I am such a magnanimous husband that every year, my sister, her, you know, my, my sister, my wife and her sister are just, they're just so close. They grew up so close. And, you know, for so many years, they, I pulled her to Maine and ripped them apart. So now, you know, I allow, I, I allow her. She loves when I use that phrase. I allow her. <laughs> Husband's just a little tip. It's just best to just, well, 
just pretend like you have some measure of control. So you're, so you're allowing it, but you get the point. Anyways, here's my point. Well, it's not like I don't always long for my wife, but at the end of two weeks with her being gone, let me just describe the experience. If, you, if you've been to the Portland airport, you know that when you're waiting for somebody, you, you park in this, this cell phone lot and you have to stay by your car. So I'm staying by my car and, and at least where I found this parking spot, I'm like 100 yards away from where people come out. So I'm like, <laughs> and let me describe for you one of the wildest shifts in emotional states ever in existence. To go from, because I'm stretching out, I'm, 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 I'm origo, I'm, I'm doing that verb, I'm stretching out, I'm, I'm reaching, I'm yearning after, I'm like, and, and here she comes, she, she walks out, I see her, you know, this, this short woman with black, I mean, that's all I can see from her, I'm 100 yards away, it's her, and as she gets closer, I realize, oh, that's a dude. <laughs> Felt like I had to apologize to the guy. I'm so I'm sorry about that man. <laughs> he was just short and had long black hair, you know. Shame on him for having long black hair. <laughs> well, what's the point? What, what point am I trying to make? That actually is actually normal Christianity. That is normal. In the factory line of faith, God plants that chip in everybody. If you never have any of that towards God, and and you know that your faith is real, you know that Christ is real, I can guarantee you something. You've buried that. You can get enough dirt on top of that. You can get enough movies and entertainment on top of that where if every time you feel that drawing, that, that pulling towards God, you just fill it up with a book or a movie or Facebook or something, if you just fill it up with something else, you can get to the point where you're just no longer responding to that calling. But friends, the healthiest, happiest, most joyful place in the world is to live with that yearning. Yes, there is an aspect of that yearning that for your entire lifetime will go unfulfilled. Absolutely. That's that's why he started by saying they didn't receive the promise because he's painting the picture. He's making sure they understand that this yearning that you have, there will be an aspect of it in in all, and it's completely normal to have an aspect of it that will go unfulfilled. But you still need to keep it. Just keep yearning, yearning for God because there's another part of it that will get fulfilled. He will satisfy you. He will. You will experience measures of his joy his peace, his grace in this lifetime that are just awesome pieces, pieces of heaven that just get planted in your soul. But you won't get those if you let go of that yearning, that desire. If you bury that and just, again, fill your life with other things, you won't, you won't experience that. So where did this, all these Verbs, all this interior action of desiring God. Where, did this, where does this originate? Well, let's look back to the Bible. And in number three here on your notes, I went back and we've already talked about Abraham, so I, want to, I don't want to go back, but here we see just an example. In fact, all of the, 
characters. I don't, I don't remember if Mark mentioned this specifically about Noah, but if you go back and read about Noah, it, it says that he was responding to God's call on him. All right, now here's Abraham, verse 8. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed because he had superhuman powers. Right? Is that what your verse says? Oh, oh I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed because he had a stronger moral backbone than the average. Is that, is that what your verse says? No, that's not what it says, is it? What, why did he obey is the same reason any human being obeys. There's only one reason. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him. That call, everybody say the call of God. That the answer to every spiritual question is within that. When God calls to you, you think it's just, it seems when it first comes to you, it just seems like, well, Jesus just became real to me, okay? And you just think you're just saying yes to Jesus, having no idea that when you say yes, you just took a seed of the kingdom of God. There's so much more in that yes, so much more inside that call, inside that. There's so much of God in that, so much of him revealing himself. And Abraham, the bottom line of Abraham's story is he's, when God, you know, God's the ultimate fisher of men. He teaches us to be fishers of men. And God's the ultimate fisher. And when God cast out for Abraham, Abraham swallowed the whole hook. He swallowed it. So that throughout his life, now Abraham was a sinner just like the rest of us. He pulled some doozies. And so have I, and so have you. But here's the interesting question. Why do you keep coming back here? Why do you keep coming back? We've all, you know, take, been on some sinful benders in our life. You guys are looking at me like, what are you talking about, Pastor Brian? Well, why do you keep coming back? Because you swallowed the hook. And it's God that's pulling you. It's not it's not your determination. It's your continued response to his reeling you in. That's what it is. Number four, would you write these things down to help you understand what a calling is? A calling is a pulling, P-U-L-L-I-N-G, pulling. Nobody walks this line by their strong moral backbone. You, you are pulled. Heaven has invaded your world and it's pulling you forward. It, it pulls you into a life of service. And we've all done this. We've all abandoned that for sometimes weeks, months, sometimes years. But you come back because you're pulled. There's something internal. There's a pulling, a drawing, D-R-A-W-I-N-G, drawing. Not like you a drawing on the wall. You're drawn by a your in, by your interior, that call of God. I know I've said this a couple times, but I just, if you're paying attention to nothing else, would you, is it possible you could give me your full focus for like 30 seconds? All of you who've drifted, hello, hello, come back, come back. Give me 30 seconds. The most dangerous thing on planet Earth, it's not the atomic bomb, the most dangerous thing on planet Earth is ignoring the call of God. Because every time you do it, it gets easier. Every time. And it's possible to know God is real. Be 100% convinced. I mean, you know his reality. And be so deaf to his call. So deaf to it that you can commit heinous acts. 
you can murder yourself and people around you. You can crush. And, and friends, we've all done it. I'm not preaching at you. I, I, this is my story. I realize, my gosh, with, with some of the stuff I still pull off, where would I be if I, if I just completely quit responding to that call? Well, let, me, let me say it again. Then you can go back to sleep. <laughs> the most dangerous thing you can do on planet Earth is ignore the call of God, which, by the way, answers another question, which some of you struggle with. You pray for ones. You're like, come on, God. Just reveal yourself to them. Just, just pull out your big God flashlight, God, and just save them. Shine your light in their world and bang! Because that's how it happened in our life, right? Jesus became real to us and we said yes. And, you know, there was, we had that moment. Like, come on, God, what are you waiting for? You ever, you ever feel like you're coaching God, you know, to save you? He's like, God, I could do a better job than you. Come on. Why does God not just pull out his flashlight on everybody all the time? Because he knows when they're ready. And the most dangerous thing on earth is to reject his calling. So he's not going to pull out all the stops when he knows good and well. They're not going to listen. They're not going to respond right now. Now, so when we're praying for our prayer for ones, God is always working, but so often, more often than not, he's working externally. He's shifting things. He's moving things. Keep praying for them because he's guiding them to the spot where they will be ready and their heart will be open. And God knows how many, th- how many glad God's smarter than us. He knows when they're ready, and when they're ready, bang, he turns on the light, and they're like, Jesus, that's awesome. Where if he had done that weeks and months and years before, when they were whooping it up, they'd have just rejected him. And again, how many of us have proven this, that when you say, when you reject God, it gets easier next time? How many have proven that? Yeah, it does, doesn't it? It gets easier. We don't want to be in that circle. We want to be in the other cycle of growing in our response to him, growing more sensitive to him. That's what a calling is. It's a pulling. It's a drawing. The last word, I didn't give you the third one, did I, in number four, what a calling is? It's a pulling. It's a drawing. It's hearing. Hearing. Do you know that not everybody hears God's voice? Not everybody does. Let me ask you a a question. Now, keep in mind where we're at. You just wrote hearing, so... There's a little clue to the answer to my question. I I ask these Bible trivia questions. I mean, quite honestly, I don't really expect you to know the answer. I wouldn't have known the answer before I was studying it for this week, so. But here, here, let me just throw a little bit of Bible trivia. What is the most commonly repeated phrase out of Jesus' mouth while he's teaching crowds? Not while he's teaching his disciples, but while he's teaching large crowds, the most commonly repeated phrase out of his mouth was, anybody want to just venture a guess? Tom, that's cheating. You, you learned that in children's ministry, didn't you? <laughs> the most commonly repeated words out of Jesus' mouth while teaching crowds were, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, I've, I've listened. I've read commentaries on that. And what most commentators will say is, well, you know, God gives some people spiritual ears and some he doesn't. So that's what Jesus meant. Not everybody has ears. Because we know Jesus wasn't talking about physical ears. He's talking about spiritual ears. But... Think, just think with me. Put your thinking caps on. Isn't that a totally waste? Why would Jesus be saying that? If, if certain people have spiritual ears and they can hear, and other people don't and they can't, well, Jesus is wasting his motion because those with ears can hear and those with can't. So why is he saying that? That's not why he's saying that at all. 
Jesus is saying the exact same thing every parent on planet Earth has said. At one point in your life, if you're a good parent and your children know there are potential ramifications for prolonged disobedience, every good parent at some point has said this, I know you can hear me. (laughs) Have you not said that? Now, that is actually meaningful if a child knows there are potential ramifications to prolonged disobedience. Now, whatever those ramifications are, I'll let you figure out. But if a child knows that, what, what, I remember that when I was a kid, when you hear that, I know you can hear me. What did that do on the inside of you? Oh, man. Shoot. Party's over. (laughs) Why? Because you knew. You knew that they, you knew what they knew. You thought you were getting away with it. You thought they didn't know that you were uh, aware of their voice. You thought they didn't know that you could hear them. And now they say that, you're like, oh, busted. That's God saying, I know you can hear me. Now that, that, he wasn't talking to everybody in the crowd. Not, not everybody could. But even for those who can, we've already covered this. It is entirely possible to hear him and pretend like we don't. Now, why would we do that? I'm confused. (laughs) Why would we do that? Why would we pretend that we don't know right from wrong? You're kidding. That was wrong. Why would we pretend that? I think we get it. I think we understand. Wouldn't this be cool? Again, all of this, all of this pulling, drawing, hearing, all of it is wrapped up in that call, the call of God. And Abraham was called, and Moses was called. Everybody in Hebrews chapter 11 was called. These people that the writer is writing to, he's reminding them of their own call. Wouldn't it be cool if we were called? Wouldn't that be awesome? Because sometimes we think that way. We think, oh, that guy, they were called, but I'm not. Friends, that's the only entry into the kingdom. That's the, that's the way everybody gets in. This is, this is basic. This is every child of God gets a personal call. Now you have to answer. You have to say yes, but everybody gets a personal call. Look at the scripture under number five. One of a hundred New Testament scriptures we could show you just showing this, that you also, and everybody say you also. Say you is me. This is me he's talking to. You also who are among the Gentiles, once considered outsiders, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. You didn't just figure this thing up. You didn't just climb a ladder. You are called, pulled to belong to Jesus Christ. Verse 7, he says, To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Would you write these two things down underneath that, under under number 6? I am called, first of all, to belong. Write that down. I am called to belong. Notice what he says in verse 6. And you also who are among the Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. There's many of you in this room who just need to swallow this pill. You, just, you have to open your eyes to this because you, you do have faith. Your faith is real. Christ is real to you. And you still, you still struggle with insecurities. You still struggle with fears and anxieties that just, they, they aren't based in reality. Because here's reality. See, we all have this human need to belong. Psychologists will tell you that's one of the greatest human needs, that need to belong. 
But when you actually realize what God has done and he's called you, he's personally pulling you along. He's called you to belong. He's, that's exactly what he said there. You are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Here's the bottom line, gang. We are not in. We are not saved because we're strong. We're saved because we said yes when he called us. It's that simple. And once you get that, you realize this is God's work. God saved me. God brought me this far. Pretty good odds he'll get me home. Amen. I'm not hanging on by my claws, and I'm not hanging on by... I'm just clinging to Jesus. I hope I can make it. Pray for me that I'll stay faithful. No. He's holding you. You're not hanging on to him. Everybody say, say, relax. Enjoy your salvation. You're called to belong. You're in. You say that with me. Say, I'm in. I'm in. If you've said yes, if he's real to you, Sometimes we discount our own faith. We think, well, yeah, Jesus is real to me, but that, that's, everybody has that. Oh, really? Is that, Jesus is real to everybody. No, he's not. If he's real to you, that's because you answered the phone when he called. And again, within that is so much more than just salvation. Look, look at the next part. He says in verse 7, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called, well, you weren't just called to belong, you were called to be his holy people. And this is so important. You don't just belong. You're called to be. There's, there's a pull on the inside of you to be something different than the world is. And again, we, we have that and we, we feel guilty, you know, when we do wrong and we think, oh, that's just normal. Everybody in the world feels that way. Is that true? Does everybody have that interior reaction when they sin? Is that true? Is that universal? That isn't universal, is it? It is a sign of your calling. And friends, don't... I think I said this earlier. I think I did. The most dangerous thing on planet Earth is ignoring that call because you can get more proficient at it and you can arrive at a place where it's scary. Your heart is hard and you just can't hear any longer. And that's a terrible spot. I remember when I was in college, um, I had... Got saved while I was in the army, and I came in just flying for Christ. I mean, I was just so lit up. But I can remember after being there a year, a time where I strayed, strayed from Christ. It is. College is a tough environment. High school, life is a tough environment, right? And I remember straying. But what was it that pulled me back? What was it? Was it my devotion to duty? Was it I finally heard a sermon that was a good one? I finally heard a good one. Like, oh, that's it. No, 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 no. I, I'm sure God spoke to me through sermons, but it was that interior call. And while I was being rotten and doing rotten things, here's my bottom line, gang. We're going we're gonna to wrap this up. But some of us, we, we want to get rid of that guilt. We want to get rid of it. We think, oh, I, just, I don't want to feel that way. You don't want to get rid of that. You don't want to get rid of it. That's the Spirit of God calling you to a healthy, wholesome, happy lifestyle. That's God trying to save your marriage. That's God trying to save your life. He wants to fill you with love and joy and peace. And gang, join the club. We're all sinners. We all are occasionally naughty. 
Did I just inform you of something? Did you not know that about yourself? But what's different about it? It's not that we're so different from the world because we don't have the same temptations, but we have a pull, we have a call to be his holy people. And we have to keep responding to that. And you know the truth is, the more you, the more you respond to that, the quicker you respond, the quicker you say, I'm sorry, you're right. The quicker you get to that, oh, it gets better. It gets easier. And that can become your lifestyle. That can become such strength to you. And you end up living in the strength of God. You're not going to fix yourself, gang. It's just continually saying yes to him, continually catching yourself. And no matter how far you've fallen, you can catch yourself right now. If you feel convicted for something that's wrong, you can can say yes right now and get right back on that line. That's the glory of salvation. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Friends, we're going to wrap this up in just a minute, but it would be pastoral malpractice for me not just to take a moment and first of all, just do this for everybody. Just look down in your own heart and ask yourself that simple question. Can I still identify that yearning for God? Is it there? Just take a moment. Look down there. Take 30 seconds and just talk to your own father. Thank him for that call. Thank him for that internal desire and yearning for him. Now, before we wrap this up, trust me, you're not going to be the only one, so don't be nervous, but if you're here and you say, you know what, Pastor Brian, I think I may... Let's take the May out. I have been becoming more proficient at disregarding that call, disregarding that pulling, disregarding that drawing of the Spirit. I've, I've, I'm, I'm afraid that I'm getting more proficient at ignoring. I, I haven't been responding to him like I should. If that's you, nobody else is looking around, but just raise your hand right there where you're seated. Raise your hand. Say, man, that's me. That's me. Just hold your hand up for just a minute. Just be humble enough to do that. Father, we just lift our hands in in honesty and humility before you and say, God, that's not where we want to go. We know you're trying to save our lives, our marriage, our families, our life. You want want a life of joy for us. God, give us your grace. We want to be like Abraham, responding to that call. God, forgive us. Let's all just pray this out loud together. Let's just, everybody, just say this out loud. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, forgive me for when I don't respond. But today, I say yes. I want your will. I want your way in my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.